You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a little zen to improve ourselves along the way. All right, this episode is pretty unique. I was on Slow Twitch reading a sub thread about the Diamondback Andean, which is one of these new super bikes that has the uh, the down tube that drops down and hugs the front wheel. It's a really radical bike. And people were talking on there about what's the, uh, is, does, does anybody actually have one? <laughs> and how is it? I think somebody was thinking about buying one and just wanted to hear from other athletes uh, what it was like. And the, the uh, conversation was uh, pretty normal. And, and I decided to post on there and asked if anybody had one to let me know, send me a private message and I will, uh, I, I will want to talk to you and ask you about it so that um, uh, we can talk about it on the Zentri podcast. And next day, I got a message from somebody named uh, Tim Peterson from Denmark. And he said that he has one. He's had one for a while. He's a bit of a bike nut. So he knows about bikes uh, in depth. So we'll be able to have a really good conversation. And then I found out a little bit more about them that we'll talk about in the podcast. And in the middle of the interview, we find out that we both have the same best friend from childhood, because even though he was on the other side of the world from me, this best friend of ours uh, went from one side of the world to the other and still was on swim teams. Uh, He left one swim team and uh, changed schools on, into the other hemisphere or where I was and uh, got on my swim team in my school. And then we ended up being best friends right in the middle of the show. It was so crazy. And uh, he is still uh, one of our best friends to this day. And we've been, uh, we've talked about it since uh, we've communicated with each other. Oh my gosh, did you know that uh, this guy knew you and it's just awesome about how small the world really is. And also it's in the, it's in the middle of an interview about uh, a really interesting bike and also the origin story of how some of us got into this crazy sport in our history. It's in, in our mindsets and what we do. It's really, really great. So I have that interview for you. And on top of that, I think we should... Uh, start off with a little bit of triathlon news. We have something very big, very interesting happening. So let's let's go to the press room and, and knock this one out. Here we go. All right. The biggest story this week so far <laughs> is that Ironman, the Ironman brand, WTC, World Triathlon Corporation, is the owning company. And they have an owner company uh, from China. I forgot the name of them. But they have decided to get rid of the KPR system, and that's the Kona Points, Kona Pro, 
uh, requisite. I forgot what it is. But anyway, KPR is the points you have to earn to go to Kona as a pro. And so many people hate this system. The only people that don't like the system are the people at the very top of it. And it works for them. But most other people are like, this is a really frustrating system. So what used to be is they would have slots at an Ironman race. So you go to an Ironman and let's say you're pro and you win the Ironman. Well, let's say at the Ironman they have um, four slots for Kona. And because uh, they think they know about everything about gender, they would say um, three slots for men, uh, one slot for women, right? And then you would uh, get... Uh, the top three men and the first place woman, for example, would uh, go to Kona at that from that race. And this was happening like all over. They have so many slots. It's the exact same thing as what's going on for the age groupers still today. If I get first place in my age group at Ironman Texas, I'll probably get an Ironman slot uh, for uh, Kona, the world championships, right? And I forgot what year they changed it. It wasn't that long ago. Let's, let's say it was four years ago or something. And the end result has been this, oh man, this nightmare of a, of a system that so many people are just ugh, upset about where you have to earn points. And basically the, the top... 50 or whatever it is of, uh, of men and whatever they, they decide for women end up, uh, out of all the points, the top 50, let's, let's just talk about the men for a second. The top 50 of the men of, uh, of that points, uh, goes to Kona. And then, um, what happens is, is the more people race, the more points start collecting, and if somebody ups their points, then you got to up your points <laughs> to beat them out. It's uh, there's this feature in uh, in uh, marketing goods called uh, you know race to the bottom. It's where you try to undercut each other's price. Well, that's kind of dumb because you end up just hurting yourself because now you're making less and less money each time. It's very similar. It's even though it's the points go up, it's actually a race to the bottom because Ironman is a very uh, physically devastating event and to keep needing more points to get to the to get to uh, Kona to get into the top of the heap um, while everybody else can go out and earn more points too is uh, really counterproductive to the health of the athletes so a lot of people are saying you know get rid of the system because it's People are having to race two, three, four Ironmans a year to get enough points. And by the time, and then that's the other thing is by the time you get to Kona race day, you're dealing with athletes that have done three Ironmans in a year and they're exhausted and three strong, you know, pro level, pro caliber, excellent performance Ironmans, right? And then, uh, so on race day, they're tired and they're exhausted and um, it's a, it's can be a career ender as far as injuries and overtraining and all this crap, right? And then that doesn't even begin to describe the situa situation for the women. Uh, Thorsten Rad, who does 
huge amounts of data mining, did a whole bunch of analysis on the women's field and found that uh, the women were having to race even more than the men. And I forgot the dynamic that creates this, this situation, but um, there's it might have something to do with there's fewer spots because Iron Man said, you know, because there's fewer pro women, there's fewer women in the sport, we're going to allow, we're not going to give as many pro spots. And that started the whole thing with uh, the hashtag, uh, get 50, 50 women to Kona, um, because it should be even, um, I think in the Olympics, there's always an even number of men and women in whatever sport that has men and women in it. And, um, and to, and Ironman had, they came back with their own, you know, reasoning that, well, there's fewer women in the, in the sport. So if women come up, um, then we will give them more, um, more spots. And we have all these programs to try to, um, encourage women to get into the sport, they say. And, but that's like pushing from, that's like pushing a rope when the, um, the people in the sport, the female pros in the sport said, if you want more women to participate in the sport, make more spots available. You're sending a message from the top down that says, we don't value, uh, we don't see women as equal. Um, so let's, uh, so we're not going to give you as many spots when let's say it was 50 men and 50 women. Um, and just, you know, yeah, there may not be as women, many women in the field and it may not be, they may not be, uh, because there's fewer women in the field and the quality may be, once you get off the first, you know, 10, 20, 30, then the, um, then the, uh, performances, the quality of the athlete may not be so phenomenal as the depth on the men's side, but have the spaces there, have the spaces open and they're like, well, there's not enough room on the pier and all that. And it's like, that is BS. And also, you're giving away spots to NFL players and uh, people like, I like Gordon Ramsay, but I'm just saying, but like gourmet chefs. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if, if Ramsay took one of the celebrity spots. But anyway, you're giving away celebrity spots and all this stuff. You've got, you've got plenty of room. Uh, just do it. And Iron Man uh, fought it and fought it and fought it and... Then in yesterday's news, totally out of left field, uh, complete surprise in the uh, deadest part of the season, by the way, you know, how, like if you want to have a, have a uh, press release that um, doesn't draw too much attention to yourself, you do it like on Friday night or something like that. And then by Monday morning, so much stuff has happened over the weekend that people kind of forget about it. So they released this, this, um, newsflash that they're going to drop KPR and go back to the slot system. And that's, that is one admitting that they were wrong. And two, on top of that, the as equally good news is, and admitting equally that they were wrong, is that uh, they're going to give equal slots, um, men and women. And it's something like if, let's say Ironman Texas has, um, 
and that's a regional championship, so it's going to have more slots. So uh, the top, the if they're going to have four slots to give away, and it'll be evenly distributed between um, between the the men and the women. So two for the men, three for the women. And there's something like if they have additional slots, then then the top ones, then they will um, they will give those out proportionally based to you know like how many how many pros are there at the race or something like that. But anyway, they're almost completely taking gender out of it, and so now it's totally 100% um, race day performance and also uh, not biased on gender. And this is just fantastic. Like, I'm so excited, so happy to see this battle finally won. Um, a really good example is Rachel Joyce. Rachel Joyce um, was kind enough to come on Zentry. She is, I don't think she's, I know she hasn't won Kona, but she's gotten second and third at Kona. And, um, and she came from being an age grouper. Uh, she's British, but lives in Colorado. She's amazing. She's an amazing person, an amazing athlete, wonderful, very professional. And she uh, recently stepped away uh, from the sport because of the greatest sports injury ever. She had. Uh, she got pregnant, and then she um, had the baby and. Then after she recovered from this uh, sports injury, she, <laughs> I love that, uh, she got back into training and then turned around and won Ironman Boulder, straight up won it, won the whole freaking thing, Ironman Boulder. Well, guess what? Because of it's, it's on the uh, KPR system, this point system, they're like, yeah, that doesn't give you enough points though. Boulder, you know? We just don't really think it's that important. We're giving more points for some other races. And you're like, dude, she won the whole thing. How can you not win? How can you win an entire Ironman and then not go <laughs> to the world championships, man? That's crazy. And they said, well, sorry. So then she went and did, I think, two other Ironmans to get enough points to go to... Um, to get to Kona. And by the time she got to Kona, she had uh, uh, unremarkable performance because she's exhausted. And this actually takes care of that problem. Now, I'm sure that there will be some unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld said. It's one of my favorite things he ever said. It's, we don't. There's things that are going to happen, the way people manipulate things, uh, that we don't really know. But we don't know that we don't know them because we're not really there yet. And also, there will be um, some more time for... I think the KPR system is going to run out through the end of this year. This will be the end of it, they're saying. So the first races uh, are around September of 2018. I think it's Ironman Wisconsin. It's a beautiful race. I've done that. Is uh, the first one where they're going to... Um, switch over from KPR to uh, slot-based systems. And, and they'll probably still do the same thing where some races don't have any uh, a female pro field or don't have a male pro field. I think the year that I did Ironman Canada, there was no female pro field. And then they, then they flipped it the next year. So um, then there was no male pro field. 
this year and there was a female profile, you know, whatever. That's that's up to them, you know, how they how they want to do all that stuff. But anyway, death to KPR, long live Kona. <laughs> I love it, man. This is really great. All right. So that's what uh, is going on in the uh, triathlon news scene. We'll just uh, let that go and move on with our big bad selves and get into our interview. So this is Tim Peterson, owner of a Diamondback Andean. It's black, which is important. We get into that. Why did he pick a black one? And yeah, we go over in detail all about the bike, everything uh, that he likes about it. And then... By the way, we get into um, a couple other sports that he played, but also uh, a little bit of plantar fasciitis uh, talk where he starts telling me that actually he hasn't been uh, um, racing that much lately because he's got plantar fasciitis. And I said, well, bro, I actually am well on the way of recovering from plantar fasciitis. And I know um, some some tips that might be able to help you. And... uh, he he was very uh, receptive, and, and uh, we talked about that. So listen towards the end of the interview. I've, if you're suffering from plantar fasciitis, I have a few uh, tips in there of what really, really helps. Cool. All right. So that's a lot coming up. Let's go ahead and get into it with Tim Peterson, Denmark, with his Diamondback Andy. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Tim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Brad. All right. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, and you? Doing, yeah, I can hear you just great. You want to go ahead okay. and start, start recording? Yeah, fine. All right. We have on Skype, on the hotline, the Zentri hotline, <laughs> we have Tim Peterson calling in from Denmark because we're going yes. to talk about his, his bike and how he got into it and his, his path along the way there. And by the way, Tim, I was just listening to a different podcast where they were listing off yet again, the happiest countries in the world. Yeah. And Denmark tops the list. I think. Okay. And, uh, it's all because of the, because of the structure of your country and how, yeah. how much vacation everybody gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Compared to the United States, we have a lot of, uh, well, more vacation time, yes. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's absolutely crazy. I've I've managed to lifestyle design myself into a less stressful kind of job. And mm-hmm. if you stick with a job a long time, you get more vacation. Not five weeks, but you know, I get. I think it's about three weeks now. Yes. And it's and um, it's so great, you know. And then my son just went to Sweden this summer to visit mm-hmm. relatives, and. 
they um he came back i already knew this but i was just i was happy how much he picked up he was 12 at the time okay and he said that um i know it's in norway i guess it's in sweden too the right to roam idea where you can just travel all over land with and yeah. it's not trespassing it's the same in denmark you don't have a trespassing in denmark as well it sounds so great mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds so great i wish we had that here we have a barbed wire fence everywhere and uh signs saying that you will be shot if uh you trespass yeah yeah. Well, in Norway and Sweden and Denmark are very uh, liberal countries, and yeah. the general idea is that the country is for everyone. You can still own the land, but you're not allowed to um, deny people access to the land. Right. So you have to provide paths or ways they have to walk around in the area that you own so they can enjoy the countryside. Right. Yeah, right. And it's like uh, unless the land is cultivated. Yes. Um, then yeah, I didn't know you had to provide pathways for them. It it uh, it depends uh, if it's a it's a, if it's a nature uh, scenic area, uh-huh. then you actually have to provide access for the public to it, so they can come and enjoy it as well. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so cool. I, I when I was visiting a friend in Vermont, Vermont was sort of similar, where yeah. um, people were. Uh, are allowed to just uh, travel across the land, and uh, and then Vermont also has no billboards as a state. Ah, okay. And um, I live in a town where uh, billboards are banned. You can't have okay. a sign over so many feet high, and the town right next to us does allow billboards, and and our our side of town just seems so much nicer. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the other side. And anyway, so uh, let's see. You are forty-five years old. Yes. And you got yourself a Diamondback Andean uh, about how long ago? I bought it in uh, in January. Uh huh. But, but the the frame size that I wanted it wasn't uh, delivered until in the end of March or something like that, and then. Um, then I got it in the beginning of the summer. Okay. So I've what color it. did you get? I got the black one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that was also one of the issues. I think they got the red frames in the beginning, and then the black ones came a little later. Oh, yeah. So I had to be a little patient <laughs> in getting I, mine. I've noticed that the black one, the red one, it bikes the exact same size. The red one seems bigger. The like black seems to hide the size a little bit. I think so, too. Yeah. I think it's the color that more jumps out at you, and, and therefore the frame looks bigger uh, than the black ones does because it's it's more like a shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it looks more like a shadow. So why did you become interested in this bike? <laughs> well, you know, I've been having. I, I had a, a Kestrel four thousand before that, uh-huh. and I've been looking at uh, getting a new tri-bike and I've always been in love with the specialized uh, Shiv TT but it didn't really have the storage options that that I wanted for half and and full Ironman then you had to do all these different options on it either put something behind the saddle or on the on the top tube and then suddenly this Andean popped up on this 
on the scene. And um, I was also looking at, at the new Canyon. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, the design of the engine just kind of kept on popping back at me. And I, I decided I had to go with the engine. It's uh, the sheer design of it just, uh, yeah, just caught my attention. Well, there was a, um, I have a friend that used to race motorcycle and when <laughs> I saw the Andean, I immediately sent him, emailed him a picture of it. And I said, yes, this thing looks like a Ducati or a, a Honda RC 51. It looks like a motorcycle. This is so I cool. Know, it does. <laughs> and, and in and in the beginning, there was a lot of uh, talk on the internet about you know the uh, the down tube and and the part that's right behind the front wheel. Uh-huh. How 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 effective is that on on a bicycle compared to a motorcycle? Because True. on a bicycle, you your wheel kind of tends to, or, or at least your front wheel tends to to turn a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that might not have the big impact on a bike compared to a motorcycle. But I've been riding it now for. Yeah, over over half a year, uh, maybe eight months or something like that, and I and I think it's very aero bike. I mean, it weighs a little more than my Kestrel does, uh, but I think the first time I took it out on, I had this what do you call it, forty kilometer course that I ride here. Sometimes you know when I check my check myself against, you know, see how, how far I've advanced in, on my biking skills, you know, just to do a status. And the first time I, I, I went out on the end and I took it out on this, on this, uh, trip and I came back and, uh, and I had ridden faster than I had on my Kestrel when I was pushing myself and I, I wasn't pushing myself on my end. And I was like, what, why didn't I push myself? Because I, I could have done it even faster. So <laughs> it is definitely aero. Um, even though it, it weighs maybe, I think a kilo and a half more than my Kestrel does. Right. So, yeah, well, there was a, um, do you, do you follow, was it GCN, the, the YouTube channel, global cycling network? No, no, I don't. They did a test of an uphill climb. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it what the tri bike was. It could have been a Cervelo P5X. Okay, but anyway, it was a it was a very you know high end (coughs) tri bike versus a road bike, and even though the tri bike weighed more, Mm -hmm. because the you know the the line of thought is don't. if you're going uphill, then an aero bike, a tri bike doesn't really help. Yeah. Um, because of the extra weight. Well, they yes. found that on, and this was somewhere in the mountains. It wasn't like super steep, but it was a, it was an uphill climb for sure. Mm. Um, the, uh, the tri bike was faster than the uh, road bike because really? of the, the aerodynamic benefit of just less drag. Okay. Um, cause anytime it wasn't, on an uphill climb, a lot of times you get little downhills and stuff like that. Yeah, and, um, and you 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 pick up speed on those more than you do on a normal yeah rope. And yeah. and that outweighs the uh, the the weight of the bike. It was okay. Horrible. So there's there's a lot more going on this uh, on this Andean though than just that scoop on the front. What about the yeah. um, what do you put in that? What do you call that? Do you call it the scoop? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what they call it. Um, I was lo- I was listening to uh, Kevin Quams, uh, the designer behind the Andean, the other day, just 
uh-huh. try to find out what what he called that because I was I was certain you were going to ask into that and and um, I didn't I didn't really pick it up either. But it's a, it, on my bike. There's a storage area there. There's a little uh, a little uh, what do you call it a hinge that you can open. Right. And then yeah. in there I have my my CO2 canisters. I have an extra tube. I have my uh, tire levers. Um, I think I have uh, small patches and, and mm-hmm. all the accessories that I had behind my my saddle on my Kestrel. I put it in there. Right. Now, do you? I was going to ask you what you keep in there, and and then um, you keep stuff in there that you don't, you would never need while actually I riding I a bike. <laughs> I, the, the stuff that I hope I never need on my on my rides. Yes. Right. I keep there. Now, how do you keep it? Um, from do you ever hear it rattle stuff in that? No, uh, the end end comes with a little uh, little pouch or a little bag uh-huh. where you can put one one tube in, and then you can put your tire levers in, and then it also has uh, room for uh, two CO two canisters in right. that little bag, and it fits right in there really nicely. Okay, so that's basically what I had on the back of my on my saddle when I was driving on my Kestrel so it all fits in there and it it kind of gives me well whenever I go riding I always have two CO2s and right. one or two tires with me and then or tubes and then um gives a kind of security and it it's always in there and it's I like it that it's going down so it's uh you bring your uh your weight closer to the ground instead of having it up at the saddle it's um it's just one of the things I I like more. On this yeah, it's bike. actually what's I think the it looks like that weight would be below the axles even. So it, it is helps keep the bike upright. Yeah. Wow. And so what about the? Um, this is one of the first bikes to have uh, tri bikes to have disc brakes on it. Yes. And um, you get a lot of rain in Denmark, I'm sure, right? Do yeah, and a lot. Of rain. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do you uh, what do you think about these about the brakes? They are excellent. I mean, it's the first bike that I have with with disc brake uh, brakes. Well, I have a mountain bike as well, but but a tri bike or a road bike with disc brakes, and it it's so much more effective. I mean, when I go out, I have a a Civilo S five as well as a road bike, and I feel big difference when I ride on the two bikes in in rainy conditions. Uh, it's. I feel much more secure and safe on my tri bike when I have to hit the brakes than I do on my on my road bike. Yeah, I remember the first time riding, road either a road bike or a tri bike really fast downhill, and then yeah. the, the brakes are pretty much. You feel like they're almost useless. Uh, mm-hmm. You're just like, well, I hope nothing happens because there's no yeah. way you're stopping this thing, and and. Um, it'd be more of a controlled crash in a way. And, and then uh, I went, I used to ride mountain bikes before there were V brakes and then through V brakes to finally to uh, disc brakes. And yes. uh, the, what disc brakes did for mountain biking is just unbelievable. The, so I, I don't have a, I don't have a road or tri bike yet with uh, disc brakes, but no. I remember all the, I, I'm sure there's still, right uh debate on whether they're needed or not and um there is still a lot of on slow yeah there's (laughs) yeah there's still a lot of uh yeah what do you call it different opinions yeah 
if it's a, if it's a fluke with the disc brakes and it's just going to be around for a couple of years and then you're going to go back to your normal brakes. But I, I think they're there to stay because, I mean, aerodynamics uh, with the brakes are, are, I mean, yes, they take up a little more uh, drag, but compared to the advantages you get from them, it's so much more. Right. I, and another video I saw was where they were testing caliper brakes versus disc brakes on a regular ride <laughs> and how much faster people were going with yeah. uh, disc brakes because they could go into the corner faster. Yeah. Because that's what I, confident. when I was doing uh, the half Ironman in Rügen uh-huh. uh, at the end of the summer, when I'd come up to turns or uh, where you know you had to break, I would break much at a much later state than everybody, and I would pass a lot of people hitting and in, going into turns. Right. And uh, because I, I was so comfortable knowing that I could break, and I knew that I could hit him at a much later state. So, you know, people would be breaking maybe 20, 25 meters before me, and I would hit in and, and break maybe just five or 10 meters before the turn. And it would, I would pass a lot of people and I was and going out of the turns I was just like laughing and saying my god <laughs> this is really <laughs> this is really working for me <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's on, um, run, on the other hand but that wasn't fun no. <laughs> well, well with caliper brakes you feel like you've got to start breaking way ahead of time and kind of coast into a turn yeah exactly um, and uh yeah and just kind of hope that you kind of hold the thing together on the way yeah. through a uh, rough turn yeah and I guess with uh, disc brakes I know on my mountain bike if I ride you know through turns I don't even think about it. I just apply no. brakes as needed, and then oh, and then the times that um, because this happens a lot mountain biking, or you come around a corner of the trail, and all of a sudden there's a new log or something in the in the trail, yeah. and you've got yeah. to slam on your brakes. The uh, stopping mm-hmm. distance is yeah far shorter. Yeah, that's right. Um, so what about the above the uh, head tube? There's like this integrated. Uh, storage area storage yeah. and bento box and and tapering yeah. end for a water bottle uh, people should go look just just uh google um diamondback andean and look at the uh the bike that actually has the water bottle mounted between the uh, aero bars yeah you kind of see this thing. it's very aerodynamic uh yeah. what have you what have you done with this and what changes has it has it uh, made in your riding well i i on my kestrel my old bike i had an aero bottle position between my error bars as well mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm used to having the bottle there right. and uh, but and then I'd have all the the bento box I wasn't used to and behind the bento box there's this little uh, area where you can have your on on the Andean there's this little area where you can have all your gels and and a little what do you call it garbage can as well for empty. yeah yeah <laughs> so it's, it's they thought of everything yeah. And um, I, I have my setup on my Kestrel has the bento box, and then I have my my water bottle in front. Right. And I, depending on on if I'm doing a half Ironman or an Ironman, it, it a little bit different what I put in in these two uh, compartments. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so much more easy for me than today, knowing that everything is on the bike. And I don't have to worry about if they fall out of my pockets on the back of my of my of my shirt when I'm going from T1 to to my bike, or if I have to uh, put them in my shirt when I come to the bike on, on T1 and have to run out of T1 to to start the bike. I just know it's there. Right. 
So it also, you know, you don't have to worry about so many things when everything's just stored on your bike. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it is very area. I mean, all the aero tests say that having a bottle between the aero bars and, and the whole flow that you can see on, when you see a picture of the, the Andean, it's, um, it just kind of, yeah, makes it complete. Well, what about the, um, the, the storage area? behind the sea post is that even usable or it is, it is usable yeah. I, I i don't i don't use it because it's uh it's very narrow i think i i think you put like an iphone in there yeah i think it's maybe like maybe an inch or a little <laughs> little less than an inch in in width and yeah. then it's maybe yeah, maybe five or six inches the other way but it's it's not that that big of a compartment so okay. i i i don't have anything in there um, not yet, anyway. Yeah, and then uh, crosswinds. So yeah. it's uh, it can get quite windy where you are, right? It so, does get windy. And so you would be a good person to to ask this: uh, How does it behave in the crosswinds with all that extra side profile for the wind to catch? Does it actually affect it? Uh, you can you can feel it. I mean, I'm, I'm used to riding a my Kespo four thousand with SIP eight hundred eight wheels. Uh huh. And and now I have the 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 head wheels the nine, is it called the nine hundred nine zero I think, mm -hmm. and I can feel it. It's it's more, it's a little more. It picks up a little more sidewind than my my Kessel did with the sip wheels on it. But I, I don't think it's it's that bad. I feel like it's uh, it's more working into the wind instead of being pushed. Uh, it's it's a it's a. Um, it's hard to explain that the the feeling or the sensation you get when you have crosswind. Mm -hmm. The worst part is when you get hit with a crosswind. But if you're riding in the crosswind, it's it's not that bad. But if you like come out of a forest or you pass oh, the a, initial hit a town and you come out, then you then you get hit by it. But but it's it's I don't feel it that I don't. Um, it's not something that I'm I'm concerned much about because usually you just you know when the wind's going to hit you usually, and then you just compensate. Right. Well, yeah. I, I ride with a disc wheel, a disc cover yeah, on my rear wheel all the time. Mm -hmm. I just got used to it, and it's really windy where I live too. Yeah. And people say, oh, man, you're really brave out there today. And I'm like, for what? And they say, you're riding a disc wheel. And I go, oh, I forgot that's on there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just don't even think about it after you get used to it. It doesn't really yes. seem to bother me at all. But you know, you know, I'm, usually when I go riding, I, don't, I I I try to ride as much with the setup I have when I go to races, right? So I don't get surprised, right? So I, I even though it's windy, I'd go ride my bike just to try and ride it in a, on, in windy conditions mm -hmm. because on race day, you, if it's windy, it's like uh, okay, are you not going to race because it's windy? Yeah, of course you're going to race. And then you have to know how your bike handles in the wind. Right. So you don't, and then you have to know how you compensate compared to to the wind and where it's coming from. And I don't, I don't feel the Andean, even though the, the area that's between the, the seat uh, tube and the, the down tube, uh, even though that's filled up with, storage areas and, and things like that. I, I don't feel it's that it takes up that much. I mean, if you, if you're used to riding with a, a, a wheel cover on your back wheel, I think you would 
feel it much more than you do riding the Andean with without. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing I notice is we have uh, the big trucks that go by here, and if mm. they, um, and you're riding really close to them on the side of the highway, and then one goes by, you get that big buffet of wind yeah. that hits you. And mm. um, I went, I, I bought used a um, a Zip 808, and then I returned it, or I sold it to somebody else for the same amount of money mm. after riding it for a while because it was too much um with the um the buffeting from the trucks okay the sudden you know and we don't have it we don't have the um the cycling width on a lot of roads i ride on around here like you might have in denmark like we have we've got two lane the roads i ride on the most are two lane highway with no shoulder okay just very few cars right and so then when a truck passes you, it passes you within a foot or two. Okay. And then that'll just shutter the whole bike. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but that's, that's the difference, right? Between the front wheel being a deep dish versus the whole frame yeah. having that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, in, in Denmark, you have bicycle paths. I've heard. Almost next to all major roads. Yeah. They're usually separated by maybe one or two meters of grass. Oh my so, gosh, yeah. So the buffet you, you're talking about when buses or ro- uh, trucks go by, we don't we don't get that often. Right. And because Denmark is a, a country where a lot of people, they ride bikes. Yeah. Even though if you go on a, on a road where there is no bicycle path next to it, people are usually very good at, at going very clear, steering clear of you. So you have two or three meters up to the cars passing you. Right. Yeah, here when I ride my bike to work, people immediately ask, what's wrong with my car? <laughs> ah, yeah. And I'm like, I, I live six miles from home, from uh, from work. It's Yeah. I could jog to work if I wanted yeah. to. Why aren't we all riding our bikes? Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, your past a little bit. Okay. Uh, I found this uh, really interesting. Um, you were in the, uh, is, does everybody have to be in the uh, Denmark military? Well, everybody has military. To go. Is it was that what I is that how you say? Yeah, it's Danish military. All males uh, when they turn eighteen, they have to uh, go to the military to uh, to see if they're fit for the military. Right. And then each year, the military says we need this amount of people, and then you more or less pick a number. Uh, you draw a number, and if this number is below what amount of people they want, then you have to go and do your um, do your military service. Okay. But if you're not, if you're declared not fit for military service, then you're you're free to go. Hmm. So uh, today, the number of uh, conscripts is has gone down considerably from the time when I was uh, 18. Right. But still, but still, uh, each year a lot of people go to the military. Today, a lot of people sign up voluntary. Okay. I I did that as well, and then I signed up for. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, reserve officer school. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I was I was in um, junior reserve officer training corps, is what they call it, in high okay. school. I was I went to yeah. the Marine Corps Military High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marine Military Academy is what they called it, and then I was in the uh, the Corps of Cadets, which is ROTC, uh, Navy, Marine, in uh, at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And so I have I have that. 
a little bit of that experience too. And um, but this this uh, thing where you get to be uh, an athlete in the military mm-hmm. were you were you part of that? That's new to me. I'd never really heard of this before. Well, when you're when you're in the military um, in Denmark anyway, they they have a military pentathlon, and each uh, military base has their own team, and they, each military base competes against each other. And then from from the best of these uh, bases, they pick out the the national team that competes against other nations. That's called the CISM system, uh-huh. and that's for everybody in the military. And um, then they have almost the same, but for reserve officers, uh, it's called CIOR. It's um, only for uh, reserve officers, but also against every other nation. And um, I was on the Danish military pentathlon team for reserve officers, which is called CIOR. So what is pentathlon? Well, pentathlon is uh, the five disciplines is on on the first day you shoot with the nation uh, holding the competition's rifle. Okay. And then you have a a precision and then you have a rapid fire and then you shoot with the nation's uh, holding the competition's firearm. And it's also a precision and a rapid shoot. On day two, you have uh, the NATO military penta- uh, uh, obstacle course that you run. And you do that in your uniform. And then you also do uh, the NATO swimming obstacle course. And you swim that in uniform as well. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then on the last day, you have uh, an orienteering run. Oh, cool. uh, where you run in in uh, your uniform boots and with a with your weapon, and usually they that, say that, how long does that take? Yeah, yeah. Usually they say the the fastest the winner is around two hours. Oh wow! So it's uh for some people it's a it's a it's a long day because you get lost in the forest. <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, usually they 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 give you all different kinds of uh, maps to run from. Usually, it's a, like orienteering maps. Sometimes it's aerial photos. Sometimes it's a small uh, uh, what do you call it? Handwritten notes about how to uh, navigate through an area that they give you, and and it's just to make sure that you um, uh, keep your military skills tuned. So you you go through all these things, and it's um, every country comes with. A couple of teams uh, to these competitions, and it's um, yeah, it's, it's good fun. It keeps you in shape. I bet that's a. Uh... Oh, and you were also a competitive swimmer growing up. That's correct. Yeah, I. Um, my dad got the stationed uh, in Saudi Arabia, uh-huh. and, and I started uh, competing in in, uh, in swimming when I was there, and kept it yeah up till. Maybe when I was turning fifteen or sixteen, I was uh, doing competitive swimming. So I, um, I was friends with a, I am still friends with a guy that grew up on a base for a while in Saudi Arabia. He was in Riyadh. Yeah, I was in Riyadh. Oh, okay. Maybe you met Nathan. <laughs> no, you're kidding. You know Nathan. I know Nathan. He was my best friend in fifth and sixth grade. Are you serious? Serious. He lives in Texas, and he's a uh, yeah, he's one of my best friends. With, uh, nuclear something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Well, do you talk? You still know about him? Do you talk to him? Well, we keep in touch on Facebook. Okay, great. Yeah, Nathan and I were when he left Riyadh. He came to uh, 
Marine Military Academy in College Station, or in uh, uh, Harlingen, in Texas, and then that's where uh, he and I became best friends, and we were on swim team together. Okay. You, he was dating my sister a while. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, small world. All right. Yeah, there was people from all over the world at that military school. So. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that is a small world. Well, let's see. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was what is it like uh, being – you? right now you're the uh, CEO of a boarding school. Yes. And I have uh, the, the same boarding school you graduated from. That's correct. And I'm wondering if, you're, if you have a little bit of the same thing that I'm experiencing where I'm now the uh, scoutmaster in charge of a scout troop. Okay. And when I was a kid, if the I can only imagine the adults and myself, if I was told that I was going to be a scoutmaster someday, they would have laughed so hard. <laughs> I know. I get, can you believe I get what that. happens to us when we get older? They start putting us in charge of things. Yeah. yeah. I, I get asked a lot. Did, when you graduated from this school, was it was it your plan to come back as the CEO? And I'm like, no, I, I, I had no idea about coming back here because – you know, when you're at school, you CEOs and 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 people at that level, they don't really, they're not really part of your life. I mean, when you're that age, it's uh, you're you're focused on your in your homework and and the teachers and and all the girls and your friends and and that's basically it. And uh, it was just much later, you know, you find out, oh, there's a CEO and there's all these things, and wow, that's that's interesting. Uh-huh. So. It wasn't a part of my plan. It just uh, it just happened that way. Right. So what what's it like being on the? Are you on the same on the same campus even? Yes, I live. I live. I have a, a house. Uh-huh. It's, uh huh. It's the part of uh, the package, and it's it's placed on campus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even I don't I don't even need to ride my bike to work. I have what like three or four hundred meters to right. my office. So but, like Nathan and I were at that military school. The general and a few other people lived on campus too. Yeah, the commandant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and we just walked. Yeah, we walked across uh, Battalion Street over to classes. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is really really neat. This is cool. So, uh, what are your plans uh, for the future? Let's see. You um, you do Ironmans and. Yeah. And half Ironman. And half Ironman. So, uh, how how has this past uh, year or so gone for you, and what are you looking forward to? Well, the, this past. What did you ask a question? No, go ahead. Okay. Well, this past year I've done uh, three half Ironmans, and um, the first two went went more or less as planned. The last one was not as planned. It was it was the one in Oregon because I got a. Um, Got a little injury in my heel, so I couldn't I couldn't really run, but I just like humped through the run because I had signed up and it was a new place for me to go, and I just wanted to try it out, and it was great experience and great fun, and it's a excellent race in in Rügen. Uh-huh. Um, for this coming season, I've signed up for two half Ironmans so far, uh, one in the beginning of the summer and one in the end, and then I have a friend who signed up for uh, Copenhagen Ironman, and he's uh, trying to convince me to <laughs> come and join him for an Ironman again. Right. 
kind of flirting with the idea right now. Well, um, but you've got that Diamondback Andy, and don't you just have to like lay on it, and it'll get you through that bike ride in less than five uh, hours? That's that's more or less the plan. <laughs> 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 you know, the only thing holding me back is um, this heel. Is it? Do you call it a heel spore? Is that what you call it when you have it? Yeah, like a heel spur. Yeah. I have the same thing. Um, I have a cure for you that'll really work too. Okay, give um, me the advice. Uh, there's and it's really inexpensive. The okay. um, there is a huge study because there's all these different potential cures out there. Mm -hmm. um, you can everything from massaging it to even which is real laser. low tech to real yeah. high tech is cold laser. It's called like cold laser therapy or something like that. Yes. I tried that and as well. Yeah. Surgeries and all this stuff, and the one thing. So this uh, this group of researchers got together and they did a meta study, and a meta study is where you study all the studies, and then with all the different studies, you try to compare um, the results and find out what actually works. And the one thing that worked the most, almost all the time, was a a uh, night boot to sleep in. And what is, they're and very inexpensive. They're twenty to thirty dollars. Boot. Yeah, boot. And what it does is it keeps you from pointing your toes down. When when you sleep, let, you let your foot relax, and yeah. then what happens is is your arch and your calf is allowed. Your calf are allowed to tighten up. Mm -hmm. And then it tries to heal overnight in that tightened up position. And yeah. then when you get up in the morning and start walking, it just tears everything apart all over again. Yeah. So this, this that's why it hurts in the morning mostly when you get out of bed and right. start walking. Around. And and then what this boot does is it keeps your foot uh, flexed, your toes flexed more like towards your face. And, okay. Um, so then when you sleep, your calf is stretched out, and your plantar fasciitis is stretched out. And so when it heals, it heals um, stretched. stretched more, and then it gives it the room that it needs to uh, to heal. And then so what happens is is you get up in the morning and you take off that boot and you walk on and you have no pain in your heel whatsoever. Okay. And that's how you know it's working. It's, it's fantastic. I'm gonna Google that when we're done here. Okay. <laughs> you should. It makes uh, all the difference in the world. It's a, the, yeah. the only thing is it's not a quick fix. I can imagine. But, you know, I've had this from this summer. And at, at first, the doctor told me just to relax and not run and do a lot of, what do you call it, put a lot of pressure on it. And I've been doing that, just keeping up with the swimming and the biking. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, every time I think, ah, now it's gone. Now I can go for a short run. It right. just goes back to being like sore and everything. And then. Now I'm really like, think it's really annoying. Right. Well, and the other thing is run, don't run on hills, run only on flat ground. Be careful of yeah. doing bike intervals. Bike intervals will make it worse. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, there was something else. You'll notice that the, um, the calf, if you don't wear it, this night boot, your calf, when you wake up in the morning is tight, like everything's tight in your calf. Like your brain has told your calf to tighten up overnight. It's like a, they say it's like a, a, a self-protective measure your brain and your body is doing to protect itself from further injury mm. is to tighten up your calf muscle um, 
and that's overnight. That's what it's done, and it and then uh, so it's putting pressure and rubbing against your heel bone. Mm. And there's no spur there. There is such a thing they said as actually getting a heel spur, but that's really rare and usually almost always not what you've got. It's just an irritated. What you have is an irritated spot where the tendon is being pulled across the heel bone. There is no yeah. spur. It's the attachment point or something like that. Yes. Of, that's just irritated. Yeah. That's, huh. that's, uh, that's really wild that you have that exact same thing. I've, I uh, developed that over six months and then I've had it for a year after that before I figured out how to start treating it. And then once I figured out how to start treating it, it got better remarkably fast. Okay. And because you know, that's that's kind of like what's holding me back from signing up for this yeah. art man. Because I'm like, if I don't get this fixed, I'm not going to have time to get my running into the shape I want to be in, and then it's not going to be fun doing a full distance. I mean, half Iron Man, you can more or less just hump your way through it, and that's the way. But a full Iron Man, it's not going to be fun doing. No, so I did I did Iron Man Canada with the plantar fasciitis. Yeah. And I, it's real, it's a really hilly run and I made it about halfway through the run before my feet hurt so bad that I decided that I was doing more damage than good. And I just needed to walk yeah. the rest of it. It was, and yeah. that sucked because I was having a good day and yeah. I was in good shape for it, but I just couldn't run it. It was, it was too much. Yeah. When I did Rügen, I, I maybe like five or six kilometers into the run and my feet, my, my heels started hurting, but then I was. I just started running more on on my forefoot, mm-hmm. and and that that kind of worked for me, just putting down the the speed a bit. And but there's a there's a big hill on 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 the Rügen Run Park, and that was not fun because going up was really hard on my heel, and going down I I couldn't run down. Yeah, <laughs> and that's usually the fun part, you know. And I couldn't run down because then you hit the heel all the time. So. You know, people are like, well, what, what's going on here? You're not running up and you're in, you're not running down. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I have this thing with my heel. And they're like, oh, okay. And then as soon as you come down a hill, you start running again. Right. So Yeah. But where you live, right, in, in Denmark, don't you have – you have the availability of lots of flat to run on if you want, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's good. Um, just avoid – that's the first thing I, I started doing was avoiding the – oh, another thing is um i got sh- you might uh you might want to look into these uh i found running shoes that actually the more i run in them the better my plantar fasciitis gets um mm. uh adidas boost ultras so they're super okay. cushy so that gives you um you know protection from your feet banging into the ground yeah. and then they have and so you can run lots of mileage in them and yeah. then they make a version of it that I think it's called ST and that means stability. And so it's got arch support in it and that extra arch support keeps you from your feet from rolling in and then pulling on that, that tendon. And when I went to start wearing those, um, all of a sudden I could start running again too. Okay. So that's the perfect combination right there. I have two things to Google after this. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll send you a link to both after uh, we get off the f- off the phone, and oh, um, I'll send you an email later today, so so you can see the ones I'm using at least that that definitely yeah. work for me. Yeah, excellent. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, well, cool. This has been a great phone call. Have I? Uh, 
Have I missed anything? Anything else you want to shout out to anybody besides to Nathan? <laughs> yeah, give my gosh to Nathan. It's it's uh, yeah, it's fun meeting people that <laughs> that know your friends from way past. Yeah, I can't believe they had a swim team in in Saudi Arabia on that on that base. Well, you know, we lived in compounds, right? And uh, every compound more or less had a a swim team because everybody had a pool and. That was one of the things everybody did was uh, swim, and then you compete about against all the other compounds. Right. And then in uh, in Saudi Arabia, they had once a year they they had this one competition where the the best from the the compound meets in Riyadh would meet with the compound uh, the best compounds in in Jeddah and Dubai and all these other ones. Right. And uh, I I went there a couple of times with the swimming, and then. When I came back to Denmark, I also continued with the swimming. But then, you know, as soon as you get to high school and university, I kind of stopped with the swimming. And right, I did too. Yeah, I didn't swim in college. It's something else. But but you know, today when you when you talk to people about triathlon, the 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 one thing that keeps people away from triathlon is the swimming, right. and especially the open water swimming and and the swim start. And and you know, for me, it's. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my well. It is my best discipline of the three. It's the swimming. It's it's. I'm comfortable. I'm not scared of in being in the water. And if I'm starting in a in a big massive start, I mean, I have I have. I'm I'm confident in the water, so I'm not really worried about that. Right. Me neither. But, but I can imagine a lot of people. It's it's mayhem in the beginning. And and for if you're not used to swimming and and know your abilities, I can. I'm sure a lot of people get really, really scared. Yeah. And also, I, if you lose, lose one breath of air, people panic. But if you're loose to swimming, you know, you're like, okay, I'll just breathe the next time. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm a, a very uh, confident and happy swimmer with, lot, you know, with lots of people. Um, and I still <clears> prefer <throat> the, um, the rolling start is what they call yes. it. Because I'm, start, I'm, I'm like, I paid all this money for a swim. I, I don't want to be playing water polo, rug, water rugby with people, yeah. um, you know, and fighting. That's not what I signed up for. And, no. and um, that's not really a fitness test. <laughs> no. And, uh, but I grew up swimming. Uh, we had a neighborhood pool. I grew up in a subdivision uh, in Houston where every village, and villages were huge, had their own neighborhood pool. And then we swam against each other. There was like six mm. to eight of us and we would all swim against each other on our swim teams and then across Houston. Swim a, so it was very similar to what you're talking about. Very competitive. Mm. swim. And, but then also mm. we had this, um, I pretty much lived at the pool as a kid and we played this game where the lifeguards would shut down the diving, the diving side. So it was 10, 12 feet deep. Yeah. Uh, we played a game called sharks and minnows where you try to swim to the other side of the deep end and somebody on the other side tries to tag you, and they're the shark, and you're a minnow. So it starts off with one shark on one side, yeah. on the other side, and then you try to, all the minnows, there'd be like 20 of you, you try to swim across, and then the the, uh, the shark would have to grab you underwater. Usually you would dive deep. They grab you underwater and try to drag you to the top, choking you, punching you, whatever they could do to the yeah. top because they could only tag you above the water. 
They had to pull you oh, to the surface okay. and then tap you on the head or something like that. And then if they yeah. did that, now you're a shark too. So after a couple of passes, now all of a sudden there's two sharks versus everybody and then three sharks and four sharks. And in the end, there's 20 sharks and one minnow. Yeah, and um, after many years of playing this as a kid, you know, I was one of the kids that would be one of the last um, minnows left. And now you've got, yeah, 20 people pulling on you from all different directions underwater. Um choking you and everything trying to get you to the top uh, to tag you out and yeah. you would get so good at it they would just give up playing <laughs> yeah. it, it starts at you know 12 feet underwater and so yeah even even with that kind of experience i'm like i don't know if i like this 2000 person no. swim start where everybody's swimming over us or i could see totally why other people wouldn't want to be in that yeah. even though i'm fine that's, with the, it. that's the good thing that the iron man is doing now you know the rolling starts yeah and i think the- it's fine and they have they have refined it over the years, and I think it's getting better and better. Right. So, um, and I think they start people faster than when they do waves. I know if they do waves, um, it's actually slower than if they do rolling starts. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And the rolling starts are really. I've done two or three with rolling starts. Yeah. And yeah, you just you get in line and you just walk in, and then in a few minutes, everybody's gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. And and then the last one I did here in Oregon, where we had rolling starts, I think we were we were rolled in, and I think it was like four or six of us in in a wave. Mm-hmm. And they'd send us a, out with ten seconds between. And I had I had more or less swim all by myself all the way. I, I mean, know. isn't that the best? That's I was and when I came out of the water, I was like, wow. Uh, I have no one to blame for not having a good swim this time. <laughs> right. That happened to me in uh, Ironman Canada. It's this beautiful yeah. lake. It was a beautiful day. There's snow, you know, there's mountains with snow around us and stuff. And we're mm-hmm. swimming. I, I was swimming along, you know, after the rolling start. And if somebody kind of, if I got kind of crowded a little bit, I just kind of swim a few feet off to the side. Yeah. And exactly. it's just clean, clear water, nice and smooth. And then when we got out of the, when I got out of the water, this other guy that got out the same time as me, we sat down on the bench to start changing clothes. And he said, Oh, 59 minutes. Like we swam fast, you know, yeah. sub hour, sub one hour. Wow. This is great. And I said, yeah, yeah that was nice. That was the nicest part of the day. Like yeah. that nice swim. Yeah. Well, all right. I'll That's let you cool. go. And okay. uh, we need to stay in touch because this is really good stuff. Um, yeah. That we actually have a best friend uh, growing up. <laughs> And I have to go tell my wife that you know Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still talk to him a lot because we oh, okay. because we still live close by. You know, we live a few hours apart. So yeah, I've been. He kind of got into cycling a little bit, but I don't know if he kept up with it. Um, you haven't heard of him totally yet. Uh, so he's uh, he's wanting to to kind of get into it because he's seen after we we didn't we didn't stay in touch for many years, and then when we got back in touch, I was doing all this triathlon stuff, and he was like, yeah. whoa. And he wants to be healthy and in shape too. And so, but it, that's a lot for somebody to try to get into all at once. Yeah. Um, and it is. so I was like, just start biking, whatever you want to do, and then we'll catch up. So, you know, this whole triathlon thing was kind of came sneaking uh, onto me because I was doing the military pentathlon. And then in, on, in the off season, a lot of my teammates, they would do go mountain biking. Right. I did so I, I started mountain biking as well, and you, you'd still have to do your running. So it was like biking and running and still doing your swimming because there's also swimming in the in the military pentathlon. 
Right. And and then we just started signing up for these triathlons. And it was it was back in the day when, you know, triathlon wasn't like that big and you'd just show up on any kind of bike. There's no aero bikes or anything. People would even show up on like uh, grandma bikes and right. stuff like that. Yeah. And it was it was it was just for fun. Mm-hmm. And then and then suddenly Ironman and triathlon really really boom so now you have to sign up for ironmans in like a year in advance to make sure you get a spot you can't you can't sign up like two weeks before when you know you're in shape it's right. crazy the development that's gone into the triathlon world yeah that's why um i've done a lot of ironmans on my own of mm-hmm. all the ironmans i've done i've done at least more way more than half of them uh just self-supported just around my my town yeah. So I'll swim at the local lake, and then I'll do the long bike ride, and then I'll do the the run around my neighborhood. And um, and then if anybody wants to join me for any part of it, then they can. I don't have a rule. I'm like, if you, I'll do the the run like in loops, for example, and the bike yeah. ride in some loops. And uh, I'll say, hey, you want to join me for a loop? You want to do part of the swim, none of the swim? You want to do five uh, k so, of of yeah. the run? Uh, just join me, and I always have people come out and do parts of it. And I've had mm. a couple people do the whole thing with me. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and then uh, then it gets to be really fun. Like, uh, and, it, and then it's free. So all the money you would have spent on the Ironman brand, yeah. now you yeah. can go buy a power meter. Yes. Yeah. So. Do you have power meter on yours, or? Yes, I have. Um, I've got an old. It's wireless, but I have an old power tap. Okay. It's been upgraded though to the G3. It was originally the the, the older one. It's like a 2007 power tap, so it's about 10 years okay. old. Yeah. And then I just got the Dorito Doretto trainer. Okay. Yeah. Um, smart trainer, and it's got a power meter inside of it. So until okay. then, I was riding the uh, indoor trainer with my power tap wheel. Mm-hmm. And. Um, the power tap wheel I have is built into a zip 808. Okay. Uh, so I was getting power on the trainer and power out in the, out on the uh, road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, um, uh, what I like about the, uh, having a power meter built right into the trainer is I can take my race wheel off Yeah. and just save it for, um, yeah. when I actually do ride outside on long rides and stuff. I have, I have a power meter on my on my Andean and on my uh, Civilo as well. Okay. And what do you have? Uh, which ones? I have Rotor. Okay. Uh, what is it called? The fl- is it called the Flow? The one I have on the other one, and the other one is called the Quark. Oh, Quark, yeah. The, yeah, the Quark is a little older than the new Flow. Right. So the Quark only has uh, uh, right side measurements, and the Flow has dual. Right. Okay. So, Yeah. But uh, I tried to get my wife. Well, my wife is doing triathlon now as well. I I signed her up for like a, a first a tenth of an Ironman, a uh-huh. short one. Right. And she's doing a quarter Ironman. She's, okay. She did, she's done it twice. And I signed her up for next year. And she's like, what? You, you keep signing me up? I'm like, yeah, I keep you in shape. <laughs> <laughs> and and today I just spoke with my kids because in, in, uh, in Denmark, you're not allowed to do Ironmans unless you're, I think, not unless... Not before the year you're turning 18. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and then I, I, I told my kids, you know, my, my youngest son, he's 16. I said, you know, in, in a year and a half, when you're about to turn 18, how about us doing like a, 
and Ironman together, but we do it as a a um, all three of us. A relay? Where one does the bike and one does the run and yeah. the third does the swimming. Right. And they were like, ah, you know, and I was like, yeah, but what do you want to do? And, she, and my, my, my daughter, who is 18, she said, but I, I'd rather do the biking. I'm like, you do the biking. And my son's like, I don't want to do the swimming. And I was like, okay, I'll do the swim. You do the run. He's like, a marathon? I'm like, yeah, you can do a marathon. You just have to train. And, and, and they didn't like, they didn't, they didn't object. They were like, okay, that sounds kind of fun, you know. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So my wife has done one half Ironman. And she's a few years ago, and she's done one. Uh, she just did a half marathon, and yeah. uh, she's nowhere near into this stuff as much as I am. I mean, she likes it, and she does triathlons, but she's not into the training as much. So, no, she's she's middle to back of the pack. But as you get older, you know, you kind of move up through that pack. <laughs> yeah, and then um, then she yeah she signed up for um, Austin. Uh, no, not Austin. Uh, Galveston, Texas, uh, Half Iron yes. Man. Yeah, Half Iron Man, yeah. And, the one um, you ride through the forest then? No, that's the one north of Houston that's um, that's the Houston, the Woodlands. Okay. This one, Galveston is on the beach, sort of. Looking at the half and full Ironmans in Texas, because my sister lives there, so I was you know, kind of like having an idea, you know, the next time I go visit her, I was going to try to plan it. Right. So around one of these uh, Ironmans, they one moved of them, the but... Austin one. They're not going to have it in Austin next year. They're going to have it in a town called Waco, which is north of Austin, about an hour. Okay. And that's real pretty too. It's like a, okay. it's just Texas countryside. Yeah. But you were saying your wife signed up for? Well, my son also does triathlons. He's on a kids triathlon team, and he's okay. really good. And he, um, yeah, yeah, he won his last triathlon overall. The the kids. Uh, wow congratulations yeah, thanks and uh he um Great. so we're talking about he wants to do an iron man so bad but then when we he's 13 so he's kind of grasping now the distances yeah <laughs> and so he'll ask everyone's so always like how far is a marathon and yeah i'm like it's 26 miles and he's like oh god you know but you could tell he wants to do one but we're told we've totally talked about doing a relay of something, you know, a half Ironman or an Olympic or something to get started yeah. as a family doing yeah. uh, relays and how much fun, my, fun that would be. My, yeah, my wife has done relays with my, my two children. Uh -huh. So they would, they would do the relay and I'd do the whole thing and, and we kind of have like a family day. Right. And uh, now I'm trying to move them into like half Ironman, full Ironman yeah. distances. Yeah. Well, I did a I did a all ages triathlon with my son in Austin um, last spring, mm -hmm. and so he was in a different he was in a wave before me, and I told him if I caught him, <laughs> just don't let me catch you. <laughs> and um, I think the run was a two mile run. Um, I don't know what the distance are in kilometers, but the. Uh, it was a sprint triathlon, but it was, yeah, it was, sure. it was, uh, it was really hilly because Austin is really hilly and mm -hmm. we had the best time, like with me trying to catch him yeah, and him out ahead. Yeah. So, cause he would say things like, dad, you'll never catch me. You're too old and slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have here at school, we have a, a school championships in the triathlon uh -huh. and, and, um, 
the oldest age uh, that the kids are here, it's um, well, it's eighteen or nineteen. Uh, what does that compare to in the states? Like twelfth, thirteenth grade or something yeah, like yeah, that. Twelfth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, each year, those the oldest guys are like, we're gonna we're gonna beat the CEO this year. And and each year, I'm like, nobody's gonna beat me. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, last year it was it was close. I won by like a minute to oh, the yeah. fastest guy. So that was that was fun, you know. Yeah. And and my daughter was competing in the relay with some of her friends, and they started they started in the first wave. Uh-huh. And um, <clears throat> I came out. I, I think I was like in the second. No, I was in the third wave. So I didn't catch my daughter. She was doing the bike ride, and I didn't catch her on the bike. And she was like, yeah, Dad, you didn't catch me. And I was like, yeah, but you guys started like 15 minutes ahead of me. Right. But it, it was fun. She was like, you know, you do a bike where you drive out, and then you turn and you drive back. And and I saw her coming at me, and she was waving. And, and when I came back on my bike, she's like, yeah, you didn't catch me. You didn't catch me. It was fun, those kind of, you know, competitive teasing there. Yeah. Well, one of the... One of the most fun things I've ever, best experience I've ever had at a triathlon was it was a uh, it was at a local pool that had a slide. Mm. The, the start was to slide down this like two story slide <laughs> into okay. the water. You started, you know, at the top of the slide and yeah. down into the water, and then you swim across this big pool, right? And that's the swim. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think it was just a duathlon, actually. I don't think there was a bike portion, but. Anyway, and then okay. you run uh, a mile or something like that. But anyway, yeah. there was a grandfather and his daughter and then his grandson. Yeah. All in the same race, racing against each other. It was so okay. cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's sometimes these, these events are, are just as fun as the others because it puts on another dimension because you have family there and generations. Uh, so, it, yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Excellent. Yeah, my, my mom uh, used to run in uh, after college. She was really athletic, but here in the mm-hmm. United States, when she was younger, there really weren't as many women's sports. About that same time as when they were allowing the first woman to run in the Boston Marathon, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she never really got to realize her athletic gift, but um, she comes out and watches my son race yeah. and is so proud of like watching mm-hmm. that uh, go. And she's the one that took him to uh, Sweden this summer. Ah, okay. So, Do you have like uh, family relations in Sweden? Or? Yeah, the um, my great grandfather came over from Sweden in the early 1900s mm-hmm. and uh, became uh, one of the they uh, he became one of the preeminent psychology professors and lecturers in the United States. Um, yeah. After going to university. Chicago. He got two PhDs and okay. started the psychology department at univer- the first psychology de- department, I think, in North America or in the United States uh, at the mm-hmm. University of Tennessee. Yeah. And um, he was uh, called the Freud of the West. And his, okay. His name was uh, Axel, Axel Brett. And, yeah. um, and it's cool uh, when looking at all the uh, relatives still that stayed in Sweden. You know, there's a whole bunch of axles and and Bretts <laughs> yeah. that I'm named after, and and, uh, and so Kai, my son, is blonde hair, blue eyed, 
And uh, when he went over there, they just fell in love with him. They were like, come over, sit at our table with us. They had like family reunion dinners and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they're like, you belong here. You want to stay? <laughs> yeah. You look native. <laughs> yeah, he loved it. It was great. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, huh. cool. Thank okay. you so much. And um, yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll let you know when the show goes out. And, okay, uh, that would be nice. And uh, I'll send you an email with uh, or a message on Slow Twitch with uh, those two things. And, um, and, look, and I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Uh, and Brett, if you ever come by these parts of the world, give me a, send me a mail or something. We can uh, we can meet up uh, in real life if you're up for it. Oh, I'm definitely up for it. We should. That'd okay. Be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will. Because I've been thinking about doing Iron Man. Uh, what's the one in uh, Kalmar or the one in? Uh, yeah, Kalmar, the one in Sweden. Yeah, or Copenhagen doesn't make any difference to me. One or the other is fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can stay at my place, and uh, it, you don't have to pay for that. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Okay. Well, cool. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Tim Peterson. I have made a new friend in the world of triathlon, and it is just absolutely amazing how uh, well we got along, and him inviting me over there. That's super cool to do. Let's see. I could do Ironman Copenhagen, Kalmar in Sweden. I just need to save up and go. <laughs> that's that's the problem with all this stuff is the uh, really cool races are always ones far away. I think that's maybe a little bit of grass is greener on the other side of the fence kind of thing. But yeah, I haven't been to Europe since I went to Spain a few years ago. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Flew Air France um, which was my French experience through Paris and then over to Southern Spain. Uh, my mother just flew Lufthansa, which is uh, German airlines. And she said it was uh, really funny how the, they said, and now you will be closing your windows. <laughs> and they, they just leaned over everybody and started closing their windows because the Germans are big in order and big on order and uh, timeliness and it's really funny because the air france flight that i was on the uh was very relaxed and very free form kind of do what you want and that was also nice as well but anyway yeah i just love culture stuff around the world very cool so thank you mr tim peterson i'm going to ask him if i can get a picture of his bike if he's got one and then put it on the blog, zentrathlon.com. So speaking of that, you can go to zentrathlon.com and check out a whole bunch of links. Let's mention some sponsors here that help us get on the air. First off, one of the reasons that I've gotten Tim on here in the first place was to fulfill my goal of having a cool bike every episode, which we definitely did with this episode. And that is brought to us by VeloSurance, VeloSurance Bike Insurance. They are a full-service bike insurance company. You can get your very, very expensive race bike insured for far better and beyond than what your typical homeowner's insurance uh, will cover. 
If you've got nice race bikes, then you really need to double check and what your homeowner's insurance is actually covering. And then a lot of times you're traveling and your homeowner's insurance covers what's inside your home, not what's what's uh, traveling with you. And then your car insurance travel uh, covers what's in and on your car, but not what's hanging off your car. So somebody rear ends you, you know, is that covered? Is your smashed up bike covered? And then also, if you're racing, who's going to cover your bike then? And a lot of times, um, bikes get wrecked on training rides, races, just out there riding. Um, so many times I've hit a pothole and gone flying through the air or laid the bike down. And carbon does not react well to smacking and sliding across the pavement. So what we want you to do is contact Dave at Velosurance.com. That's Dave at Velosurance.com and get a quote from him on how much it would cost to insure your bike for what you do with cycling. They have been in business for quite a while and it's run by cyclists so they understand what cyclists do with their bikes. You know, when I, when I contacted my homeowner's insurance and asked them questions about do they cover this or that, they didn't even understand what I was talking about. I had to explain so many times uh, what I was doing. And then they said, well, maybe it kind of depends. And I'm like, well, uh, yee, yee, yee. <laughs> and they also uh, cover um, fellow insurance, bike insurance will cover your uh, bike uh, while traveling. You know, you send it to a race, all kinds of great stuff, man. Great stuff. So check them out. Again, Velosurance Bike Insurance. Okay, and then let's see. We got Salt Stick. I was listening to a podcast. It'll come to me which one it was here in a minute. It might be the Chris Hoth podcast, The Weekly Word. And they had a hydration guy on there talking about salt and how much sodium uh, electrolytes in general you're supposed to be taking. And if you're peeing a lot, that's a sign that you're not taking in enough electrolytes. And I was like, man, that happens to me often. So I've started upping the amount of electrolytes even more because uh, actually I don't, I think about it, I really don't take all that much. And then I live in Texas and in the summer months, it is just crazy about uh, how much water I go through. And I'm a bigger guy. I'm from Northern European uh, heritage. So I am not genetically, I am not adapted to warm climates. And I'm sitting here in Texas through the summer and so I just lose tons and tons of water and, and sweat. So you need to make your water stick with salt stick. I came up with that. Isn't that pretty? That's a pretty cool one. Make your water sick. Oh, not sick. Stick with salt stick. And salt stick is the um, electrolyte company that measures what comes off of you. And then they get those same ratios and put it back into you, which is really rare. If any other company does that at all, it's really cool. If you read the uh, salt stick capsules um, packaging, the uh, the potassium and the magnesium and all that other stuff, the ratios are actually uh, pretty great. They're, they try to emulate exactly what's the same in human sweat. So you're putting back in what you sweat out. And my favorite thing with salt stick is to open up the capsules, which is really easy to do. And that's powder inside. And then mix that into my fuel. And so I can make my own fuel with my own amount of electrolytes and save a ton of money. So you can get 25% off, speaking of saving money, with discount code Zentry. But what you have to do is you have to go to saltstick.com 
and then slash Zentry. And that's our own special page. And when you go there, then you get um, a pop-up that says, what's the, pa- what's the password? And then the password's really tough. It's Zentry. And you get in and then you get 25% off all the stuff. Isn't that cool? We got our own little page. And I just love making my own fuel because then I can make it the own concentration that I want. And I keep everything separate. You have more electrolytes, less electrolytes. It saves a ton of money. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't drink at all, then it's okay if you have to throw it out. Um, and you can make just the amount that you need. And it's really, nutrition is the black arts of uh, long distance training. And speaking of that, I wanted to give a mention to uh, Chris Hoth's podcast. Somebody on, tw- on uh, Instagram or Twitter, let me see if I can find it. I'll open it up here in a second. Mentioned, hey, have you checked out um, his podcast? It's called The Weekly Word. And I said, no, I'll check it out. Because I know Chris Hoth, and I'll have to spell his name for you. Because it's like, sounds kind of like Hoth, like the planet Hoth and Empire Strikes Back, but, um, let's see, H-A-U-T-H, H-A-U-T-H, and I forgot exactly where he's from, he's not from the United States, so he's got an accent, but he's a former professional triathlete, and he does long-distance coaching, and he's also a rich roles coach, and he's very laid back and he talks very calmly. He's very soothing. So when you listen to his podcast, it's almost like listening to a psychologist. It almost puts you to sleep, but that's a good thing. And when we do long distance stuff, you want to be calm and relaxed and you want to have a cool head and think of the long game. And that's what his podcast is exactly like. He um, rarely has any guests. Um, and he's just talking about how to train for long distance. And I absolutely love it. So thank you, uh, Emmy Saban, or Saban, who uh, told me about his podcast. I knew about Chris, but I just didn't know. Um, oh, and Emmy is in France. Hey, how's it going? And um, I didn't know he had his own podcast. And I... Uh, Oh, Emmy, uh, Emmy jumped in, uh, a few episodes ago, I gave a tip on there's, uh, so many grams of gelatin uh, per day. It's like seven grams or something like that. And, uh, you can look back through my episodes. I talk about it and, um, to help, uh, tendon healing and Emmy, uh, is on Twitter at me saying, Hey, Brett, I've done the gelatin thing and it seems to work exclamation point. My ITBS is getting better. And I'm now running 15K a week, three times five to 6K. Thanks for sharing some great tips and Merry Christmas, Santa, okay sign. And, oh man, here's another one from Emmy. <laughs> Emmy's uh, uh, hammering it. Uh, she is now super into Zentri. Good for you, I like this. Uh, one hour sweet spot training on the turbo, watching some mountain biking videos while listening to Zentriathlon. Makes the time go by really fast. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, cool. So on the trainer, I have found that watching mountain bike racing videos and it's point of view, POV, where they um, wear the camera on their chest or on their helmet uh, is awesome because there's other cyclists there. There's lots of uphill and downhill, but it's also very exciting because at any moment 
you could die is what you think in your mind because they're racing mountain biking and mountain bike racing is so full of um of hard turns and almost hitting trees and all kinds of drama like it's very very exciting and it keeps you really engaged on the uh, trainer and it makes the time go by and you're like oh but you know how do you know when to put it in a harder gear or whatever? Well, you can tell when they slow down that they're going uphill and you just put your bike into a harder gear and then climb that hill with them. And then when they crest the hill, you can tell by the angle of the camera and the angle of the video that they're, they're flattening out and they're starting to go downhill again. And then you put your bike in an easier gear and then you go downhill. And once you find one of those videos, you'll find more and more and more. And Treadmill TV is a channel on um, YouTube where um, it's lots of trail running and or running along the beach or nice uh, through parks and stuff like that and that's fun uh, on the treadmill or on your bike and you just imagine that you're like on a slower heavier bike like a cruiser bike and when they go uphill you put your bike into a harder gear and when they go downhill you put your bike in an easier gear and you can do the same thing on the treadmill works really great okay so check out uh, those and then also Chris Hoth's podcast I'm a big fan and he's got 50 something episodes and um You can, uh, yeah, you, you kind of have to like, um, sit in for the long haul on one of his, on one of his episodes and, and, uh, don't expect a lot of drama and a whole lot of hard hitting facts. That's not his point and that's not his style. And I really liked it because, um, it gave validation that there's podcasts out there that get it just like, uh, that, that get me and what I like and this whole subculture of ultra endurance athletes are people that slow down and go long and are trying to um, just be in the moment and enjoy that. And that's what ultra endurance stuff is all about. The, the difficulty is if you listen to his podcast, you can hear a recurring theme of this. People go too hard. So you need to slow down and go easier. And people don't have their nutrition nailed. And people overtrain, I guess this is another one. But if you slow down and you nail your nutrition and get in your 200, 300 or more uh, calories per hour, more on the bike, less on the run, then um, you can really enjoy your, uh, your training and just get faster and faster and faster. And then you've mastered it. You've become a black belt in endurance uh, by uh, listening to stuff like this. So there was that, and let's see. I know I've got another monster, uh, monster, another sponsor. Let me um, give you a mention of uh, Amrita Bars. Check out Amrita Bars, amritahealthfoods.com, A-M-R-I-T-A. We've got 15% off if you use discount code ZEN. I've got Amrita Bars with me right now. They're in, my, they're in this bag. What flavor do I have? I need to eat some, but I'm not going to eat on the air. Let's see. Somebody messaged me and said, dude, I miss you eating on the air. <laughs> uh, cranberry raisin. Ooh, I can't wait. I'm going to eat that. I'm hungry, so I need to eat that. I ran eight miles this morning in the rain. And let's see. Hornet juice on the, um, on the sides of Zentrathon.com. On the left-hand side, you can set up a, a one-time or recurring donation, and I get your name and email address. And um, with that, you get my name and email address. 
And with that, you can email me and ask me questions. If you've donated to the show, I figure I owe you uh, a personal response. You can ask me your, uh, your one-off question and I'll uh, answer it on the air or maybe to you. It depends on how much time I've got. If, if I want everybody to hear it because it's uh, something that a lot of people should hear, I may answer it on the air. And also, let's see, uh, on the right-hand side is Hornet juice. Hornet juice is an amino acid, basically protein powder that um, is really good for uh, turning on your fat burning. And you can go a long, long, long ways with it. And you can order it through there. And uh, what happens is the order goes through me. And then uh, Hornet Juice in New Zealand sends you a package, which is super cool. And um, they reimburse me just a tiny bit for getting the word out there about their stuff. So in a way, you're helping Zen Triathlon you're helping yourself and you're also having something fun to show your friends, uh, uh, you know, like a cool, like a nutrition and training thing. And it really works. It's absolutely amazing. It's called Hornet Juice. And again, it's on the right hand side of that. And I think that's all of our sponsor notes. We should mention donations and we have uh, Dwayne Morin, Houston Marsh, Rick Foster, Michael Redogna, Derek Riddell, uh, Brett Hoyer, Simon Wright, Karen Jackson, Daniel Clemens, Justice Phillips, Pablo Cacho. He's a relatively new one. That's a cool name. I like that name. William Smith, Jonathan Woodman, David Williams. I have a best friend from high school named David Williams, and uh, I don't think you're, you are him, he, him, he, uh, Tanya Roy, Han Chu, John Mulan, Katie Joe Favia, James Godek, Peter Salzen, Hans Henrik Madsen, Matthew Heinz, Michael Wilkinson, Matthew Froes, and Allison Frutos. And I think that's it. Okay, I think we've got a, uh, I think we got a show out there for people to uh, check out. Next episode. I'm going to go over uh, what our family got for Christmas, uh, triathlon-wise, you know, endurance things, how we dealt with the family coming, and also um, I've got two tips for you that people asked me uh, recently. Um, One is uh, how to keep little fingers and tails of, of your pets uh, little fingers of your kids and tails of your pets out of your bike wheel when you're on the trainer, <laughs> which is a very real thing. And then um, it's there's an easy way. And then uh, also, I just figured out a really cool way to um, have cold water while you're training on the indoor trainer or if you're on the treadmill that uh, works uh, pretty good. And it's actually got a side benefit as well. And then we'll also talk about Lots of Zen stuff. We can just do a show just like that. All right. I think that's it. Everybody have a happy new year. Stay safe out there. Work the uphills. Cruise the downhills. And keep the rubber side down. Out. Out.